I am so grateful to be able to come on a Sunday morning, to be able to meet with God's people, and to be able to praise and to worship an amazing God. I trust that your hearts are already filled, and that you're focused, and that you are ready to hear from God in a very real and a very special way. You know, Jesus was really busy during the 40 years after his resurrection. He was meeting with people. He was teaching people. He was encouraging people. And in our text today, we find the 11 disciples, plus probably about 500 people or so, that are meeting with Jesus on a mountain in Galilee. These folks came in weakness, some confused, some doubtful, and some afraid. They knew Jesus would be leaving soon, so they actually knew that Jesus' words were going to be really, really important. You know, our passage today is so very, very familiar It's a passage that we hear so often, and it has a reputation, actually. I'm from the camp, though, that says this is not only a text that's well-known. It's a text that is critical for you and for me. It's critical for our church. I think it's the climax or the focal point of Matthew. But not only Matthew, I think of the whole New Testament, and actually I think of the whole Bible. It is the supreme mission of God's people. Tragically, though, I do think that some are either ignorant or just not willing to obey. It seems obvious that many think very little about this mission and mostly about themselves. And I'm not putting everybody in that category, but as I look at the evangelical church, it seems like this isn't much of a priority. People focus on God's mission when it's convenient and are involved in ministry when it meets their own desires. And yet if I understand who Jesus is and what he desired to do, is that he came to seek out those who were lost, those who are drowning, those who have no hope, and he desires to give them some hope. You know, one of my favorite stories, I know I keep saying everything is one of my favorite stories. So just go with me. All right, one of my favorite stories is in Luke 19. And it's a story, again, that I think every one of you probably have heard or probably have been told, or, or at least our kids. This is a great Awana and Sunday school story, but it probably shouldn't stay just in Awana or Sunday school. Because Jesus, near the end of his ministry, was actually going through all different towns. And he was talking about the kingdom of God and and expressing just some real passion. Because people were hurting. 
And he went to this town called Jericho, and, and there was quite the sinner that lived in Jericho, and actually sinners lived everywhere, but, but this one, well, says he was a notorious sinner. And his name was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus really was an enemy of the Jewish people. Zacchaeus was not um, applauded by the Jewish people. And he basically made a living by ripping off the Jews. So you can imagine that, that he was not a very popular person and uh, lived quite comfortably because everybody else was giving him this kind of money. Whenever people would put folks in categories, the greatest of all sinners, at least in the New Testament, would be sinners, publicans, and prostitutes. Now, everybody really are sinners, but, but somehow, at least that culture, they looked at these kind of categories. And a publican was a tax collector. And Zacchaeus was a chief of these tax collectors. And the scripture says this, out of all the people to pick out, out of all the people to talk to, so many people demanded Jesus' attention. Jesus is walking by and there's Zacchaeus in a tree. He names him. And he says, hey Zacchaeus, you're the kind of guy that I came for. Why don't you come on down? Let's, let's go have some dinner at your house. And let's talk about the kingdom. Well, Zacchaeus' life was so absolutely transformed. All of a sudden, all the money that was gathered for his own pleasure, he began to will be very generous. And that's a mark of just meeting with God and understanding who God is. Is that all of our possessions and everything we have is just God's. And he was just so eager. But, but Jesus ends up in Luke 19 verse 10. And he says, I know all of you folks are surprised because I'm hanging out with Zacchaeus. Because actually the Son of God and the Pharisees and all those really religious and all those that really, you know, liked going to the synagogue didn't hang out with Zacchaeus or any of those kind. But Jesus said, I came. I came to seek and to save those who are really, really far gone. To those that know they're drowning, they need a Savior. That's who I came. And Jesus loved to be able to proclaim the gospel, the good news. That I came for a reason. Your king has arrived. He will give you purpose and peace. You have an opportunity to spend time with him now. And eventually, when you close your eyes, you will be able to spend eternity with your king. To a group of people who were really tired, who were really discouraged, who were really bummed, wow, this was refreshing. And this was good news. And that's who Jesus was. Now, once we're redeemed, and once we become part of God's family by faith, because of God's amazing grace, well, God's primary purpose for us, the church, His kids, His family, is not loving fellowship. 
Now, there are people who are part of God's family who are lonely. And there are people who are discouraged. And there's people who've been abused. And, and there are times when we just need to come around and we need to encourage and strengthen those in the body. But we don't exist or stay around as God's family just to provide fellowship. If not, God would take us right up to heaven. There's no lonely people in heaven. The, the fellowship is rich in glory. But somehow, once we come to faith, he leaves us here. Well, it's not in every case. We know at least the thief on the cross went right to glory. He didn't hang around very much. But the majority of us, he leaves us here. You see, God's primary purpose for the redeemed or those part of his family is not learning his word. Now, one of the beautiful things of this church is that there is a group of people here that love hearing God's word, love being fed. Amazing amount of good and healthy Bible studies. But God did not leave us here on this planet just to learn God's word. He didn't. Otherwise, he'd take us right to glory. He would. Because there, we would understand completely everything he has to say. Everything would make sense. Sometimes the scriptures are confusing. And it's good to learn the scriptures and understand it. But that's not the reason we're here. We're not left here to provide amazing programs or experiences. Because actually... I think heaven's going to win there too. And he would take us right there and we would be able to experience the glory of God firsthand. He doesn't leave us here to alleviate social injustice. Now granted, I think we're here to be able to bring God's kingdom. That's one of the reasons. But it's not the primary reason. When someone is hurting, when someone is hungry, when someone needs some clothing, well, God followers rise up. And there's even going to be an opportunity for you to sign up for the, for the food pantry in the gym afterwards if, if, if God is prompting you. But we're not here just for social injustice. And we're actually not here just to give praise. Now, does God love praise? Absolutely. Did your hearts just soar this morning? I, I hope so. It's good to praise and to give glory to God. But again, if that was our purpose, compared to what's going on in glory right now, mm, our praise service probably wasn't that hot. Okay? Now, I'm not saying it wasn't hot. I'm just saying, whoa, when the multitudes and the angels and whatever they do up there is, is kind of cranking it out. It, 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 you know, we're going to get excited. But that's not our reason for staying here. You see, God's primary purpose for his kids to stay on the planet is to seek and to save the lost, those who are far from God, those who are disconnected from God. 
Again, one of the things that Jesus did is huddle his disciples around. In John chapter 20, starting in verse 21, Jesus kind of said this. Hey, I just want you to know this. I've trained you. And what I want you to focus on right now is, well, to do exactly what I've been doing. So I want to send you out to be my hands and my feet. Do what I have done. So you see, fellowship and teaching and praise are not the mission of the church, but rather the preparation of the church to fulfill its mission. Just like in athletics, training ought never be confused with the competition. It shouldn't. I know training is important. I know there's some very important games going on. But I'm pretty sure there's not one person that's going to play in any one of those four games today that would say, you know what? Pick. The game or the workout. All right? There isn't anyone in their right mind that's going to say, well, you know what? I don't really care about the game. Yeah, that's not really important. Let's just go do some, you know, laps. Let's do some stairs. Oh, I get jacked about that. You know, what kind of a, you know, crazy response is that? They do all that so they can play in front of millions of people. And I think that's what God is kind of sharing with us. You see, we are a life-saving station. We are a gathering of people who are on the lookout for those people far from God. Now again, I don't know what your specific assignment is. I know there's some plumbers here today. And maybe your assignment is coming tomorrow and you don't even know about it. And I'm not talking about, you know, cleaning a clogged toilet. Although that might be a very important assignment at that moment. But who do you run into? Who do you talk to? What part of your family needs you today to encourage and to strengthen? And who is far from God that might need to be told about your amazing King, the good news. Would you turn with me to our text today? It's in the book of Matthew. It's at the very end, Matthew 28. Turn your Bibles or your flat screens there if you would. And I'm going to start reading at verse 16. And if you don't have one, you can follow along on the screen. But this is what Jesus is saying. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end 
of the age. Jesus starts off in the very beginning, look at verse 18, and he assures them of his authority and his power. Now he has lived with at least these 11, and again, I sense that there's a much larger crowd around at this time. And he's saying this, he goes, he starts off his little pep talk. And he says, I just want you to understand that I am the ultimate authority. I have complete freedom and right to speak and act as I please. I am the king. I am sovereign. And I think, again, one of the hard things, at least in our world and our culture, is to understand this king thing. All right? Now, I understand, again, we have a new president. And some of you might be a little happy about that, a little bit sad, but you know what I'm just reminded every time when this comes is how much power that guy has. How much power. Now, at least in our system, there's some checks and balances, and whether they always work, I don't know. My guess is not. But I do know this, if we understand what a king is, and we go back to places when literally kings were around, whether it be in biblical history or just in history, we wouldn't like living underneath a king, probably. We probably wouldn't. The dude had way too much power. He really did. If you walked into the room and he didn't like how you looked or smelled, that could have been it. You're done. If he says for you to go and do this and you don't do it, you're done. His word was law. Now the sad part is, most of the kings that we know about or the history books, uh, they're human. (laughs) You know, we talk about even good kings and even good kings, well... They don't always make the best choices. But Jesus was reminding them and putting him on a whole different plane. Almost felt like Jesus was, was, well, pumping his own tires. But he has every right to do that. He said this, I am the king. I am the sovereign king. I have all power and all authority, and I make all wise choices. This is hard for you to understand, but but let me just start off sharing with you that submission to me is not an option if you're going to be in the kingdom and if you're going to walk in obedience. We still often all over America especially, think that God's word is sometimes optional. These bugs are a little different. I, I asked Margie today, I said, Margie, what is with these bugs? You go, I don't know, they're like overwhelming us here. Now they're attacking me, I'm sorry. Okay, focus, Rick, focus. Okay. And what I want you to remember over and over and over again is Jesus is king. And he's not like any earthly king. He knows what's best. He understands the future. He 
knows and cares about each one of us. But he starts off his little thing. Hey, I just want to remind you. Then in verse 19 through almost the end of 20, he says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. Now you know that I encourage you to write in your Bibles and I think it's really important as we go through this text that you actually understand what Jesus was saying. But the verse literally starts off and I know some of your translations put therefore at different spots. But the verse starts off with therefore. And I think it's pretty important because what Jesus is saying in light of my sovereignty Because I am king. In other words, I am giving you and helping you understand that I am sovereign, have all this power. In light of my power, I would like to share with you something. And this is important. So many times in so many posters... Preachers or teachers will focus on the go. Go is not a verb in this verse. I think going is important, and we're going to talk about it. There's only one verb in this whole verse, and the verb is make. Make disciples. So what Jesus was literally saying, he's using three participles, which doesn't mean anything to most of you. But what he's literally saying is this, as you go, as you get up in the morning, as you live your life, as you go write an insurance policy, as you pound a nail in, as you teach your kids, as you drive your car to work, that's what he's saying. Make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples is the order, is the imperative, is the verb, it's the command. And Jesus literally says, you all have certain places that you are in life. I don't exactly know where that is. But as you live your life, this is what I want you to do. This is your assignment. This is your assignment personally, and this is your assignment as a church. I want you to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Some of you in the trades, and and I think disciple-making is understood best in the trades. Something called an apprentice. Now, no matter how great apprentices think they are, you know, Some of you may think back in those days. Like, are you telling me to go get coffee again? Like, really? This is part of the training, you know? Well, actually, it is. There's some submission things, you know? There's some things when bosses say something that you got to kind of listen to, whether you like it or not. And you learn the trades, and, and you sit underneath this person for a year or two years or three years or five years, <laughs> if you're slow, ten years. And, and you just sit there and you try to learn what's going on. And this is what a disciple is. Jesus lived life with these guys for three years. And he said, I want you to just watch me. 
I am going to show you how to literally make disciples. And then someday when I leave, I'm going to ask you to go do the same thing. And you're going to go make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You see, as you go, answers the when question. But we've got two more questions. Who, who do we go to? Now, to us, we've again heard this going to all the nations, and that's not a big deal to us, and again, especially in our world. But to a Jew who was listening to this, this was kind of uncomfortable. They didn't like the Samaritans. They certainly didn't like the Gentiles. And they were probably just okay to say, you know what, I'll go with the people that I'm kind of comfortable with. And Jesus said, no, don't you get this, is that there are lost people, drowning people, in every nook and cranny of our world. And I want you to go to all of them. And then he says, well, well, what do you do? What is making disciples look like? Two things. Baptizing. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And again, in the context, it's saying, keep on baptizing them. Now, if you've been around here for very long, you know that, well, baptism doesn't get you saved. It's not like, you know, the Emperor Constantine going around and making sure all of his troops, you know, were all going to the kingdom and going to heaven in case they died during war, and he's kind of sprinkling holy water over all of his armies. No, baptism is a time for a believer to be able to say, you know what? I met Jesus. I was a mess. He saved me, he redeemed me, and I just want to tell everybody publicly that I now am a God follower. And baptism is awesome. It shows I identify with who Jesus is, and I identify in his death, and I identify in his life. It is absolutely a highlight of every church, is a baptism time. But really what Jesus is saying is that Baptism is synonymous with salvation here. He is saying again, our goal, go baptize. Well, you can't baptize until they come to faith. And literally what Jesus is saying is, hey, you need to go tell the gospel, the good news. Now, if I were to use the term evangelism, I'm pretty sure that every one of us freak out. We just do. And sometimes you freak out because of what that word means, or sometimes you're afraid, or, you know, as I grew up, there were all different kinds of, shall we say, cool things to do. And I, I'm probably dating myself a little bit, but, but as I grew up, one of the things in my high school group, when I was in high school, it was, well, action group. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to be part of Action Group. And you know what Action Group did on Sunday afternoons? Action Group went door to door to door. And we shared the gospel. We had surveys, and we had all these kind of really cool, snazzy things. And at, back in those days, people would open your doors, you know. And you could have a conversation. Or we would end up at the airport, <laughs> 
Again, you can't do that anymore. There's a little bit of a security problem. Or we go to the train station. But we would just evangelize that way. Now again, I don't know how effective that was. But my guess is this, is that as we talk about evangelism today, I'd like to look at it just a little bit differently and maybe even give you an illustration. I don't know how many were here on October, I think it was October 2nd, when I had the opportunity to share the first message that I ever shared to Crosspoint. And one of the elders in the search committee asked me, he said, Rick, if you could give one message, what would that be? And without any hesitation, I talk about Mark chapter 5 in the demoniac. The reason I love that story, and that's the story that I shared back on October 2nd, is because I see this as a perfect picture of us, of me. A demoniac, naked, gross, scabby, wailing all night, cutting himself with stones. He meets Jesus. Whoa. Talk about a transformation. He gets all cleaned up. He meets Jesus. He has a purpose in life. And he goes to Jesus and he just basically says this. Hey, I want to go with you. I want to go on your tour. I want to be able to tell others about Jesus. Well, the bottom line is, Jesus goes, no. What I want you to do your mission. You go back to the ten towns that you came from, and you tell what happened to you. You want me to do what, Jesus? Just tell him this. You were the naked, screaming man. You met me, and now you have a purpose. That's my story? That's all of our stories, okay? I'm a mess without you, Jesus. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the strength. And you know what? I met you. And not only do I have abundant life right now, but I have eternal. That's the story. The story isn't telling everyone how sinful they are or how corrupt they are. And they are. But you just don't go very far doing that. What you do is you're able to share different people your story of God's grace. I was naked Messed up, gross. I met Jesus. He changed my life. Can I tell you about my Jesus? That's evangelism. That is sharing what God has done in your life. You see, God isn't asking you to go to Bible school, although Bible school is not a bad thing. But I'm pretty sure this demoniac didn't have all of his act together. What about in John chapter 4? When Jesus again goes during the noon hour and there is, well, a prostitute or a person has relational problems coming to the well. All the other disciples are going to get Mickey D's and Jesus is there by himself. This lady comes to the well and Jesus just says, you know what? I bet you're thirsty. Well, of course I'm thirsty, dude. Well, you know, I've, I've got some water that you don't even know about. I'd love to be able to tell you, it, this water is going to really quench your thirst. Then it's a relationship with me. Wow. This lady didn't do well with relationships. 
going through guys like Dixie Cups, to be quite honest. And as you look at this and you wonder and say, whoa, what happened? Jesus offered her something she could find nowhere else, a relationship with him. And what does Jesus do? He says, hey, go back to the town and tell everybody what happened. And that's all she did. She went back to the town and says, hey, I met this guy, Jesus. My life is completely different. Would you guys all come and listen to him? Now, the Scriptures tell us in that story that some people believe because of her word. But some people also believe because when they heard Jesus, they were absolutely floored. They couldn't believe anyone like this was around. You see, this is evangelism. And this is called making disciples. Because you can't make disciples or God followers if they're not part of God's family. So the first step is to be able to encourage people with your story of God's grace. Every one of you have it. Every one of you do. And it's an opportunity to be able to say, Whoa, God, you are amazing. And that's why baptism is such a big deal. Um, I, I, I do love baptism services. In fact, that's one of the opportunities I had is, as I was kind of looking at Crosspoint, you have a, a little video, and, and I was able to listen to people's testimonies, and absolutely one of the highlights of any church. I'd love to be able to have a baptism service every month. I'd love to be able to celebrate one or two or three or five people coming to faith. And being able to sharing their grace stories and letting God receive glory. But I also love baptism because I'm seeing people take steps of obedience. Because that's the next part. Teaching. Keep teaching to keep obeying all that I've taught you. Every one of you, and there's teachers in this room, but but really, you're all teachers. So many parents, you're teaching and instructing, whether at work or at home, over and over and over again. Some people get a little bit faster. Some people don't. They're a little slower. All right? But part of disciple-making is evangelizing, sharing your story, and then teaching over and over and over how to obey God. Well, one of the first things you need to do is be able to know God's Word. It's really hard to obey without it. I've shared with you before that every guys group that I've been part of, one of the questions that I ask, one of the questions I ask, what is God telling you to do that you're not doing today? Now, you know, guys... Guys don't like really telling those deep, dark secrets, you know. And so maybe one guy will share or two guys will share, but, but the truth is this. As you open up God's Word, we each have to be asking that question. God, what are you prompting me? What are you asking me? This is one of the reasons we have a listening to God time at the end of the message. It's you quietly saying, God, what did I just hear that I need to obey? That, that's it. 
It isn't because Rick is a sharp talker. (laughs) No, that's not the case. What did the Holy Spirit prompt you? Prick your heart. What is he making you uncomfortable about? And you have a choice right there, flat out. Am I going to listen or am I not? What a great conversation on the way home in your car. Hey, what's God asking you to do that you're not doing, honey? Oh, boy. (laughs) That's going to be great marriage therapy right there, huh? But I think that's a conversation that every one of us really have. Where are you struggling, Rick? What aren't you listening to? What is God doing? But we are, we need to be committed to the word. And here's the thing. We need to be committed to obedience. I don't care if you're working with little Awana kids or wherever you're being able to encourage people as they learn God's word and as they memorize God's word. The question always has to follow. How are you going to obey? How are you going to obey? Then Christ ends this whole thing. Look at chapter 28, verse 20 at the very end. And he says this. He says, and be sure of this. Some of your translations say low. The whole deal is this. You can bank on these next words. He said, I am with you always. You underline stuff, underline that. I am with you always. Special note, don't forget this. It's the promise of God's presence. If you are with us last week, we talked about putting on the yoke. And we talked about walking through life and recognizing that God is there to encourage you, to convict you, to teach you when to stop in life, to when to move in life, when to turn right in life, when to turn left, when to pick it up. I don't know what your burden is, but as you walk and do life with Jesus, you do it together. He says this, I'm going to be there. You see, folks, this message wraps up our series called The Greats. Over the last three weeks, we had an opportunity to look at, well, what Jesus will call the greatest commandment, to love God and to love others. Last week, we heard about an invitation, the great invitation, where Jesus said, I see a whole lot of tired people. I want you to come to me, and I want you to put my yoke on, because life will be different. And today, it's the Great Commission. It's our mission. It's what God says you're here for. There's lost, drowning people. I don't know where you're going to have influence. I don't know who you're going to interact with, even today, even after this service. But my guess is, is that God has divine appointments. And that you have an opportunity every day to be able to bring truth and encouragement and gospel. And for those who are far from God, you have an opportunity to share good news. Christ is about to leave 
the planet. He assured them of His authority and power. He gave them an assignment. He promised His presence. And that was their mission. And for the most part, these vagabonds and the other folks that were all around changed the known world in the next 60 or 70 years. They weren't any smarter than you or me. But when the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 came upon them, they received great power and authority and energy. And their world was changed. God doesn't ask you to change the world. He asks you to be on mission. And actually, I'm hoping you hear that. That's grace. There's no pressure. Would we love to have one person come every week to faith? Absolutely. Would we like five? Absolutely, I'm greedy. Would we like ten? I, I would love it. It would bring God great honor and glory. But we're not going to make that happen. We're going to be faithful. I'd like to pray. God, I ask you even this moment that we would hear your words. God, to understand that you have given us a special assignment. An assignment to be able to proclaim the kingdom of God. To be able to encourage people to get to know you. And to watch their lives be transformed because of your grace. God, we ask at this moment that, that you would ignite us. That you would empower us. Lord, I'm pretty sure that every one of us could do better. But God, I, I just want us to hear you. Just guide us and direct us and point us. And would we just be an army of people who are faithful and proclaiming your grace in our lives. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You know, you received a bulletin coming in, and, and on the side of the bulletin there is a flap. And, and if you're newer, we'd love to get your information so we can follow up and encourage you on the journey. If there's some things you'd like to put down for prayer, we would encourage you to do that. And you can put that right in the offering plate. But for the next few minutes, we would ask this. Is that we would ask you just to be quiet. There's some instrumental music going on. But it's just to calm our hearts. And maybe ask God, what do I need to obey, God? What are you convicting me about? And listen. See what God has to say.
Now I'm going to ask you if you would stand at this moment. Before we receive our offering, I just have a sense that there's some people that might just need some prayer today. I'd, I'd appreciate if you don't kind of look around at this moment. And, but if there's someone right now, I, I, I don't know if, if you want to even respond to God's amazing gospel today. Maybe today is the day. Maybe you're struggling with a relationship. Maybe you're just so beat up. You would love someone to pray for you even right now. I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. We're, we're all standing. But if you would like someone to pray for you right now, I'd like you to raise your hand. and Just, just kind of keep your hand up. If you'd like someone to pray for you right now, just keep your hand up. And, and this, we're, we're going to have some folks just surround you right at this moment. And you can tell them as much as you want to tell them. But if you just want prayer, just raise that hand. And, and if we could have some folks gather around these folks who are raising their hand. And just put your, just talk to them. Ask them what they would like prayer for. And if they want to share that, you do that. The rest of you, though, want to raise your hand, you do that. If not, you just continue to pray and talk to God. And upstairs. Father, we are, we are your kids. I'm pretty sure the majority of the people right in this room know you. They came to a place in their life where they, they received your free gift of salvation. But God, I know that, that we as a people need you every day. We not only need you to become part of your family, but we need you to do life. And I ask you, dear God, that, that you would give us strength and perspective. And even today, the courage, the courage to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Help us nurture and encourage people in their journey that they would follow God with all of their hearts. And we pray, Father, we pray that even this week that you would send us out wherever we go to be your spokespeople. That we would be able to share our stories with someone who doesn't know you this week, God. We pray you would draw people to yourself. We pray, dear God, that, that you would receive honor and glory from your humble servants. We also want to say thank you, Father, for all that you've given us and all the blessings you have given us. We're so grateful, God, for your generosity to us. So I pray, dear Father, that, that as we give back to you, that you would receive this offering because we are a family, your family, that is overwhelmed by your grace. We thank you and love you.
In Jesus' name, amen.